It's a, a blessing to worship the Lord. If you're new with us today, we're, we're really thankful that you're here. We lo- I love to see the visitors, love to see new faces, and I just hope you know that you're welcome and our hearts are for you, and we're, we believe that you're supposed to be with us, and we love you, and we want to be who we're supposed to be for you. So uh, if you have any, any needs or anything, just come find one of us pastors. Also, our, our numbers are on the back of this bulletin, so give us a text or something this week, and we'll... We'll walk with you and try to, to be who we can be for you. So I hope you know you're welcome. Uh, we've got a lot of things going on this week. This weekend, or on Friday and Saturday, is the, the Taking It Back Men's Conference. And it's out at uh, Mountain View Baptist Church. It starts at 6 o'clock on Friday afternoon there. And uh, it should, it's really good. We've had this conference for a few years now, and it's just been a really great time. If you're a man... I would really encourage you to come to that. It, it'll be worth. It'll be really worth your time to come. Uh, this guy that's speaking, Johannes Slabert, he's up in an area over by Cody, um, in a kind of a rural area, and he's actually from South Africa. And I just promise you'll be blessed to hear this guy. It'll be a really good, really good thing for us. So please come. Take the time to to come and be a part of that if you can. Then uh, that next following. Uh, week is the, the winter Bible study. Um, we have that every year. Uh, Fred Creason will be teaching about the life of Jacob. That'll be really good. And uh, it's over at Hilltop Baptist Church. So come to that if you can. And note that uh, Monday night is, is our church's night to bring the snacks. After the, the service, there's snacks, and uh, we need to put those together. So um, please uh, get those to the, the sandwiches and cookies and veggies uh, to the church um, on Monday. So... Um, then also we have the new members class next Sunday at four o'clock. So if you're if you're interested in becoming a member, or you're interested in 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 our church, or interested in thinking about becoming a member, or you've been here for a while and and uh, you've been with us for a while and you see yourself becoming a member, so any of those three categories uh, come to this class. Uh, Pastor Mike and uh, Pastor Max are going to be teaching at four o'clock next Sunday over in Murdy's classroom. So come and uh, and be a part of that. Then lastly, uh, back in the hallways, there's some big uh, laundry baskets full of baby bottles. And uh, it's not for your babies. It's, it's how we raise money for uh, True Care, which is the crisis pregnancy center here in Casper. And we, we've uh, been distributing those these last few weeks. And we just asked that you could um, fill those up with your $100 bills and change and stuff and, and uh, bring them next Sunday and, uh, and put them back in those baskets so that we can uh, give that money to True Care. Uh, True Care is the, I'm, I'm on the board of directors there, so it's, it's really near and dear to my heart because I get to be a part of what God's doing in that ministry. Over 300 women a year come through those doors, and, and when they come through those doors, they're broken and desperate and in some pretty intense need. And uh, we, we get to love them and, and walk with them and show them that they can have this baby and that they can, they can make it through. And we get to share Christ with these women and plug them into local churches around Casper. And it is pretty, pretty incredible what they do over there. So if, uh, if you take that bottle home and, and pray, that would be the best thing you could do. But uh, just know that we get the opportunity to stand in the gap in this city through that ministry. So praise God for it. And praise God for you guys who are supporters of it. Man, we get to do a lot for the Lord. Look what he does in us. It's so powerful and so amazing that we get to be part of what he's doing here. Let's stand up and worship the Lord. Father, thank you.
Lord, for bringing us here. Lord, I look out and I see all these people and I love them so much. And I'm so thankful that you've, you've allowed me to worship the Lord with them today and hear your word today. Lord, and we get to, to stop and lay down our burdens. Lord, everybody standing here today has burdens and heaviness, difficulties, sorrow, hardships, and even sin, Lord. And if we can lay it at your feet, the, the creator of all things, Lord. And because of your son, Jesus, Lord, we can stand before you right now, clean, clean and amazed and in awe of you and worship you. Let us do it. Amen. together this morning. is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings.
may be seated. Or actually, turn and greet one another. I don't know. I was just lost in the moment. Turn and wish one another a good morning. If you'll return to your places and stand back up, we will sing again to our Lord. This is a new song we introduced last week over the Lord's Supper. And so dive in with us. Let's learn it together here this morning.
be seated. Good morning. We've got a couple things today. Uh, Donna and Aubrey want to come share about a couple ministries with the ladies and with three couples getting together for dinner. And I want to be on the one where the wife cooks really well, so please come see me after the service. <laughs> Good morning. I just wanted to come up and share with everybody about our food fellowship trios. We, a lot of you know about this. You've done them before. Some of you are new and you don't. But what it is, is for the month of March, April, and May, we have you sign up, and we put together three families. You meet one time, like at your house, one time at the other people's houses. You host one time is all you have to host. Um, and you can do it however you like. We started out with a dinnership trio where you... Like the person hosting would do a main course and then the other people would bring to go along with that. But it can be done however you like. You can do a dinner, you can do lunch, you can do just a dessert and a fellowship time. It's about the fellowship and getting to know our family in the church. Getting to know people that you don't know real well. I mean, I, I see a lot of you out here and some of you I know really well and some of you I, I know because I see you every Sunday, you know. But I mean, it's not... So it's a great time to get to be, get to know other people in your church and know your church family on just a more personal level. Get to know them. You can set it up however you like. It's all up to you when you host, and you just let the other families know what you're doing and how you want to do it. So I really encourage you all, and especially if you're new too, but even the older folks that have been here a long time and done this, I still love it every time we do it. So I really encourage you all to... Sign up and be a part of our trio so that we can all get together and get to know each other really well. Uh, we also do ladies' nights every, um, every month. It's the second Thursday of every month. And so we just kind of want to get together as ladies and get to know each other, just have some fun together. Um, so we've done about five of them so far. They've all been here at the church because it's been too cold to kind of do anything else. <laughs> but... Um, We've done game nights, we've done um, cookie decorating, we've done crafts, we've done just all sorts of things. Um, and so we've got one more month planned of things to do, and then we're kind of looking for your ideas um, and your help in that. If there's something that you really enjoy that you think would be a great event for just the ladies to come to, or if there's something that you have access to that the rest of us don't, that would be a great opportunity. Um, with it getting warm, we're kind of thinking of some outdoor things or some other things that we can't do in the winter. Um, Christy Martinez has offered some for horses, so we might do some like trail riding for one of those. Um, she does have a wagon too, so if you're a little scared to get on a horse, you can get on the wagon instead. But <laughs> anyway, so just looking for ideas, and if you want to help with any of those, after the service, we'll be at the tables outside um, with dinner trio signups and also with just ideas of what you ladies want to do and how we can get more of you excited about it, more of you coming, and kind of do a more variety of things that at least you would enjoy one of the things in a year that we're doing. <laughs> so anyways, we would love to get to know you more. I personally would love to get to know some of you I don't know very well. So please come, please sign up, please give us your ideas. Thank you, ladies. Let's pray for these two ministries and also for offering this morning. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together again. What a great fellowship it is to be a part of the family of God. 
God, we, we just ask that this service would be pleasing to you. Help us to um, honor you, listen to your word, be glorifying you as we hear it, and, um, and respond to whatever you want to show us in your word. Be with Pastor Mike as he delivers the message today. May it be a powerful time in your word. Also, I do pray for these dinner trios, that they would be a special time for families uh, and singles, whatever, to get together and fellowship together and uh, point each other to Christ, to pray for one another. And also for the ladies group, uh, the ladies getting together, Lord, and I just pray it'd be a super good time for them to fellowship and, and minister to one another. God, you're so good to us. Just thank you for the body of Christ. And uh, as we give the offering, Lord, we just give it to you. We say thank you for all you've done for us. May you be glorified in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. question, or is your eye envious because I am generous? And uh, I was so, was very convicted by that, and I so want to be one of those believers that looks to what Jesus has done, and I see nothing but generosity in my heart overflows with nothing but thankfulness. And so, as we sing on in this song, let's look at what he's done, and let's look at uh, all the gifts that he's given to us as a body, and let's be thankful. So stand and let's sing the second verse together.
All right, guys, time for the children to go to Super Church, third grade and under. And the rest of you can turn to Matthew chapter 20 with me this morning. Man, it's been good to walk through the book of Matthew. It's an amazing thing just to see God working, see Jesus Christ in the lives of his disciples, to see him processing them through who he is and how he works and what his kingdom looks like and what it means to walk with him. You know, it's, uh, it's just a great reminder for me that, you know, there's some challenges to what it really means to have Christ in your life or what it really means to walk with him in your life. Uh, there's a lot of things that we still struggle with like the disciples did. You know, they were still trying to figure out, you know, what it meant to be great in the kingdom of heaven. We've kind of talked about that several different times here lately. You know, what is it? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Christ brought the little child and said, unless you're converted and believe like one of these little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about the rich young ruler who came to him and said, what good thing must I do in order to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, go get rid of the thing that you love more than me and sell your possessions and give to the poor and have a reward in heaven and come follow me, right? (coughs) And you'll obtain eternal life. And we're like, man, that's such a high price sometimes. And, you know, to have the kingdom of heaven means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? To love your neighbors yourself, to have this transformed relationship with God and others that comes as a result of Christ giving you new life, right? There's there's no life in Christ apart from that. And so, you know, he's talked about a lot of things. He even talked about, we talked about last week how, You know, these rewards in heaven that that he promised the disciples who had given everything to follow him. He tells this parable last week of of this landowner who went out early in the morning, 6 a.m. in the morning, hires somebody to go work for the day in the field for a denarius, goes out at 9 and hires somebody, noon, 3, 5. The last guy only works for an hour. He tells his foreman, no, start paying them from the last guy to the first guy, and he says, pay them all a denarius. And... You know, the guys that start at 6 a.m., they get mad because it's like, it's not fair. We worked harder than they did. We deserve more than they deserve. You know, they only worked for an hour. And, and the landowner who represents Christ is saying, look, you completely missed it, right? What I have, I want to give. And if I want to be generous, that's up to me. But the truth be known is what they didn't see was they weren't going to get paid at all had he not gone out and got them. The guy at nine o'clock wasn't going to get paid at all if he had not gone out and gotten them. They weren't going to have life and a relationship with God had Christ not gone out to get them, whether they started early or whether they started late. It didn't really matter, right? It's all about God's grace. And man, for us, sometimes we, we get caught up in trying to figure out who's better and who's served longer and who's given more. I mean, sometimes we just actually sit around and compare, don't we? Man, we've, you know, I've been a full-time pastor 33 years. Well, then there's this old guy right over there, 36, 35, 36. I don't know how long. He doesn't know how long anymore either. (laughs) Can't remember. And then there's another older guy. I don't even know where Rick went to, but he, where, where are you, Rick? Oh, he's out, oh, he's out there. Yeah, he's so old, I can't find him anymore. He's been doing it longer than both of us. And, but then, you know, I think about 
one of the heroes of my faith that lives about 25 miles down the road in Glenrock, Jim Ritter. He's been in his church, just the one church, over 40 years. And I realized that, man, there's just no comparison, right? There's always somebody better. And so we find ourselves sometimes trying to figure out the kingdom of heaven. Do we earn it? Do we get increased rewards? Are we better than others? Do we deserve more than others? And, and truth be known is God's still working us through this truth that, that, man, the kingdom of heaven isn't like anything else that we've ever thought. It's not the kingdom of man. It's not the kingdom on earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's Christ's kingdom. It's completely different than anything else we know. And so we started this interesting place after that great parable from last week. We start in verse 17 of chapter 20. Read along with me. It says, as Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he'll be raised up. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons bowing down and making a request of him. And, she, and he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. He said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much for us to learn, but I am thankful, Lord, that you are a patient and gracious and merciful God. Though I know, Lord God, you're a terrifying God and that your patience does run out. And I pray that we would not miss that balance in this, Lord, that we would not take you for granted or treat you with disregard or disrespect. I pray, Lord God, that we would recognize that through Christ is the only way to have eternal life and all who reject him will be condemned under your wrath and judgment forever and ever. May we not miss you today. May you speak clearly to us. May you draw the lost to salvation today. May you encourage your children to walk like you. And I want to give you praise for what you do, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> this is one of those times where there's not really a transition. It's kind of this stay in the moment, stay in the understanding of what's taking place. Here we have this truth about, you know, this relationship that we have with Christ is not earned, it's given, it's grace, it's grace to all. If it weren't for the grace of the landowner, there'd be no one that worked that day, no, no one to take care of themselves, no one to have food to eat. It's all by the grace of the landowner, it's all by the grace of God that we have salvation. Hallelujah, right? It's not earned. 
But then Matthew just simply tells us this third time, tells us about Jesus coming the third time to his disciples and revealing what's going to happen to him as they get ready to go to Jerusalem. And, and things are, they're pretty intense, right? He's in the region of Jericho. Jericho is the city that the good Samaritan was walking down to, right? It's not that far from Jerusalem. It's basically down the hill. Jerusalem would have been about 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho about 800 below sea level. So it was a pretty good climb, basically. It was super hot in that region, so it would have been a little bit uncomfortable. But they're not far from going to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, it says so. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them. So the picture is, there's all these followers. So we've already mentioned the big crowd. But he takes his 12 intimate disciples away as they're traveling. He's telling them again what's going to happen to him. And it's, it's deep and it's difficult. You know, he says, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they'll condemn him to death. And, and he, he starts with what he's already told them. Like I said, the first time he tells them this is back in Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And, and he's way in the north side of Galilee, quite a ways from Jerusalem. But he's trying to prepare them for what they're about to go do here in a little bit. And he tells them that time, he says, you know, I'll suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So he doesn't tell them everything. He tells them on the third time he tells them. But it's so shocking. I mean, it's so shocking for them because they had just, Peter had just confessed him as the Christ, right? The son of the living God. They've just declared that you're the savior. You're going to be the one that delivers us. They think from Roman captivity and they're going to be the great kingdom on earth now. And so Jesus tells them they're going to die. And Peter says, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, again, we talked about that when we looked at this passage of Scripture. I mean, you want to be audacious. You want to be bold. You want to be risky. You tell God in the flesh (laughs) that what he just said was going to happen isn't going to happen. That's pretty bold, pretty risky. And uh, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He wasn't going to tolerate that for a second, right? You're a stumbling block to me. You're not focusing your mind on things of God, but on things of man. And so the first response we see is, is pretty, pretty crazy from Peter and the disciples because they can't see it. The second time, Jesus is in Matthew chapter 17. They're still in Galilee, but they're in the south part of Galilee. I mean, they're getting close to going to Judea. So again, he's preparing them for what's going to happen. And he says to them, the son of man's going to be delivered in the hands of men. They'll kill him and will be raised on the third day. And it says, and they were deeply grieved. So now the first response is kind of shock, you know, and, and denial of what Jesus has said was going to happen to him. The second time, they are deeply grieved. They're like, Lord, you said it the first time. We didn't really understand. Now you've said it again. There must be some weight to it. And so now they're beginning to grieve the thought of Christ dying. And now we come back to our passage this morning, and Jesus tells him in verse 18 things that he's already told them, right? The Son of Man, the Messiah, 
he'll be delivered to the chief priests and scribes and they'll condemn him to death. They've already, he's already told them that. But this time he tells them more and it becomes, I mean, really personal and heavy. He says, and we'll hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. This is the first time he's told them that it's not just gonna be the elders or the chief priests or the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel. Now he tells them that the Gentiles are going to be involved with this. Now that's a, that's a little more humbling to a Jewish person, right? This is the Jewish savior, if you will. And in many of their minds, that's what they thought. But now the Gentiles, meaning every person that's not Jewish, they're going to be a part of this. And really, to me, what Jesus is saying is that this rejection of the Savior isn't just going to be a Jewish rejection. It's going to be a Gentile rejection. It's going to be a cross-the-board rejection. We're all going to reject Christ as a group, if you will, and we're all going to be accountable for rejecting him as a group. And he says they're going to mock him, which is always shocking to me, quite honestly. I mean, there's so many things when I think about Jesus's arrest and betrayal. I mean, you know, when they mock him at Caiaphas's house and they blindfold him and they ask, you know, who's hitting you, who's spitting on you. That's pretty, that's pretty humbling. You know, when they pound a crown of thorns in his head and put a robe of purple on him before they crucify him and they bow down and mock him as if he's a king when they don't believe that he's a king and they humiliate him and those are are humbling things to me. Uh, They're super humbling to me when I realize that there's been times in my life when I have mistreated my savior. I don't like to say that stuff out loud but it's true. Anytime we would dishonor him by not hearing him, dishonor him with our pride, dishonor him with our, you know, rejection of his goodness or his grace or fail to believe in him. I mean, there's some mockeries we make of Jesus sometimes that we don't even recognize are happening in our life. But then they scourge him. That always it always hurts me so much to think about what that must have been like to have a cat of nine tails just rip your flesh away until you were bloody and almost irrecognizable because of the pain. I mean, those are hard things that he's telling them are going to happen. And then, of course, they say, and he says, and they're going to crucify me. And we, we realize the pain of that. I mean, I can't imagine those nails being driven to his hands or his feet. I can't, I literally have no comprehension of what that must have been like but but that's not the worst of the cross I mean on the cross he became our sin on the cross he he took the filth my sin your sin our sin the sins of the world became our sin you know second Corinthians 5 21 says but God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf right so he became our sin but but Galatians 3, 13, and 14 always also reveal some things about the cross that, that we don't think about with crucifixion. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And, and all that means is that this curse, right, that, that we were under, this curse of God's condemnation, of God's judgment, of God's wrath that was upon us because of our sin that we actually deserved, he became that curse for us, right? He became it. This thing that was so vile that brought about the wrath of God that when we read the book of Revelation would ultimately lead to the second death, which is the lake of fire, where we would be tormented day and night in the presence of Christ and his holy angels, Revelation chapter 14. This curse he took upon himself so that the Gentiles, us, would receive the blessings of Abraham, which means we would become his children, right? The blessings of Abraham to be his in covenant through Christ. We would have those blessings and that we would receive the spirit by faith. Man, he did this for us and he's telling them, he's telling them we're going up the mountain. When we get to the top of the mountain, we get to Jerusalem, they're gonna do these things to me but I'm doing this for you. And on the third day, right, I'll rise from the dead. And we, we feel the magnitude of that. And we, we feel the power of that. We, we don't want to minimize that. I mean, some of us have heard that so many times that the gospel sometimes just doesn't have any traction in our hearts anymore. It doesn't have any traction in our lives anymore. It doesn't really mean anything to us. But, but the response the disciples give this time is nothing. Nothing. They say nothing. They don't respond at all. I mean, how do you respond to this? How do you respond to the thought of the one that you have confessed to be the son of God and you're responding to it now with he's dying, he's gonna die, he's gonna rise again. The weight of it all was probably just too much. It just, they don't respond. And yet, they should have been crushed and they should have been worshiping, right? Isn't that the response? I mean, to me, when I think about Christ on the cross, I'm crushed. I, I know people have told me, I can't tell you how many times people have told me, oh, you shouldn't feel bad about Christ on the cross. Well, I don't know about you, but when I know he did that for me, are you kidding me that I can't be crushed by that? That I can't be crushed by the magnitude of the cost that my Savior gave for me, that it's my fault, that I'm guilty, that had I not sinned, had we not sinned, he would have never had to give his life. I'm never going to stop being crushed by that. It doesn't keep me from rejoicing in that. Because what it does for me is see the glory of my Savior, right? We're so afraid to look at who we are truly. We live in this world of denial. People encourage us to be in denial. You're not bad, you're a good person. 
You're not a sinner. You just had some struggles. You, you didn't really do anything that bad. God loves you just the way you are. Listen, God loves us, but he does not love our sin, and he does not love us as sinners. Can I tell you that honestly? He is going to judge sinners, not sin. He is going to judge sinners. We have offended the holy God to the place where Hebrews writes, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And so sometimes we just take God like he's, he's casual, like he's no big deal, like he, he's not done anything for us. And Jesus is saying to them, know this, the living God who's humbled himself and come and taken the form of a man This God has given his life. I'm going to give my life for the sins of the world. And we should be broken and repentant. And we should be falling before him and loving him and worshiping him because of how good and loving and gracious and merciful he is. And he's the only one. He's the only one. People talk to me about, aren't all the religions the same? Aren't they all leading to the same place? Is it the same thing to follow this or follow that? It's just nonsense. There's only one God who left heaven and came to earth. Every other religion and every other God says, you better shape up if you're going to walk with me. You better get better if you're going to walk with me. you got to earn your way. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross for you because you can't earn your way. You can't earn your way. And so he's telling them, he's pouring out his heart to them, and it's so overwhelming to them that they don't even know what to say. Man, I hope that you and I don't ever, don't ever come to Christ as if what he has done for us is cheap. As if what he has done for us is insignificant. I mean, I'm a grain of sand. Right? I'm a grain of sand. I'm small. I'm insignificant. I'm short-lived. And I'm sinful. And the king of glory... Has given his life for me. My response can't be nothing. It can't be nothing. Matter of fact, what Jesus says our response is to be is to take up our cross and deny ourselves and follow him daily. I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Romans 12.1. You think the Bible calls our salvation cheap? You think Christ calls our salvation cheap? You think you can pray a prayer somewhere claiming that you believe in Jesus and never live a day for him and think that you have life? No, Bible says it's not true. It's not true. Faith transforms us. I say all that, and then we come to verse 20. It's a crazy contradiction. In verse 20, it says, The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus. The sons of Zebedee are James and John. 
they're two of the three inner circles of Christ, right? When Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion, he takes with him Peter, James, and John. The three inner circle, right? These are guys that he has a lot of confidence in. These are guys that have really been useful to him, if you will. But it says the mother of the sons of Zebedee, they come, she comes to Jesus with her sons. And they bow down before him to make a request of him. And he says to the mother, what do you wish? She said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. <laughs> and then I, I mean, I look at this, Mark in his gospel doesn't record, record mom coming with them just says that James and John came and asked this of Jesus. But, but Matthew says that mom came with him. And, and the only way mom <clears throat> would have even had any inkling about this is if she had talked to John and James and they had said some things to her. Because obviously, right, they had heard this from Jesus by himself that he was going to go up and be crucified and rise on the third day. But obviously it didn't really mean what it meant in Jesus' mind to these guys. Because somehow they had heard that apparently Jesus was about to come into his kingdom, right? He's about to come into his kingdom, and they knew if he was going to come into his kingdom that they better make their move now. Because if they're not going to address Jesus about who's going to get to sit on the right and who's going to sit on the left, then somebody else will, and we're going to lose our opportunity to have glory and power and recognition, right? And so apparently they left Jesus after he's talked to them about his, crucifix, his crucifixion and resurrection. And now mom comes with them and says, hey, Lord, I have something to ask of you. Command it to be that when you come into your kingdom, let one sit on your right and one sit on your left, the places of high honor. Isn't that crazy? I mean, how do you get that? Jesus has already been talking about being great in the kingdom of heaven. Great in the kingdom of heaven is becoming a child. Great in the kingdom of heaven is being a servant. Great in the kingdom of heaven is it's not about seeking power. It's not about seeking rewards. It's not about seeking glory. That's not being great in the kingdom of heaven. But they haven't heard it yet. They haven't thought about what he was going to go through to even establish the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, and he doesn't even address mom after this. No wonder Mark didn't record it. Because Jesus begins to address the two men. Jesus says to them, first, you do not know what you're asking. And man, that's, that's so true, right? Because he's about to reveal to them how he's going to come into his glory. So he says, you don't know what you're asking, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said to him, we are. Now, understand this. What Jesus is basically saying to them is, I'm about to drink a cup. And that's how I'm going to come into my reign. That's how I'm going to come into my rule. That's how I'm going to ascend to my throne. And the cup is going to be suffering like the world has never known. Suffering like the world has never experienced. So you want to sit on my right and you want to sit on my left? 
Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? I mean, listen to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11, it makes, so you can know what he's talking about. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's one of those passages that has rocked my world for a long, long time. We'll put it that way. Because first of all, he tells us to have the same attitude on ourselves. So we should humble ourselves and give ourselves away like Christ did, right? Not hold on to any glory like he had in heaven, but emptied himself. But it also speaks about not just the suffering of the cross, but the humility of going from God forevermore eternal to take on the likeness of flesh, the humility of that, the humility of becoming a bondservant, the humility of going to the cross and the pain and the suffering of the cross for the sins of the world. But for this reason, he says, God highly exalted him. The road for Jesus to the throne was through the cross of suffering for the sins and the shames of the world. And so he says to the men, are you able to drink the cup that I am in? And they say, <laughs> we're able. <laughs> Pretty naive, I think. I think they were sincere. I think they probably, to whatever level they thought they could, would do that for Jesus. I mean, we know that on the night he was arrested, they all declared allegiance to him that they wouldn't fall away, except they all did, right? They had good intentions. But Jesus says, okay, you will. You'll drink my cup. James was the first martyr, by the way. First one. So, yep, he suffered. John lived a long life full of opposition and hatred, ended up on the Isle of Patmos, cast out as a judgment, thinking he'd probably suffer and die while he was out there. I mean, yeah, they had some judgment coming. But it wasn't even really the point. I mean, the point was that they're just so misguided that they can't even see it. He says, because my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and my left, this is not mine to give, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. That's so humbling to me. I mean, I don't know what it took for James and John to, to think that, hey, we deserve this position of glory and honor. I don't know what it took for them to convince themselves that they deserved it more than, say, Peter, who had always been the leader of the disciples. I don't know what it took for them to think that they were so high and mighty in their faith and in their commitment to Jesus or in their knowledge of the Bible or whatever it was. I don't know what it took. I, I really don't. It's just shockingly brash and arrogant and blind and foolish to think that they deserve to sit on the right and the left 
of the Lord Jesus himself. I mean, go back to the Old Testament. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the, the, the hall of faith, the, the, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It talks about all kinds of people from Abel, right, who was killed, even though his sacrifice was better, to Noah, to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to all kinds of heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, men that had lived in glory and honor and power for the Lord God Almighty, even those who were, who were mistreated and killed by the sword and, and thrown to lions and they lived in sheepskin, they lived in caves and it says the world was not worthy of them. I mean, you name it. How do we even know we could deserve such glory and honor? And who cares? I mean, that's the thing. Who cares? I mean, it's about Christ. It's not about us, right? We live for Christ because he's been so good to us. This isn't about us somehow gaining rewards and gaining honor and looking better than somebody else and getting ahead in our walk with the Lord. It's ridiculous. It's so worldly. That's so worldly. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is perfect, to become a part of his kingdom means to know him, to have a relationship with God. And this is eternal life, that you may know God and his son, Jesus Christ. John 17, 3, that's eternal life. The best part of life is having a relationship with God. It's not honor, it's not glory, it's not position, it's not rewards. It's ridiculous. It's offensive. And Jesus said, it's not about your request anyway, Those have been assigned by the Father. You and I, the best thing we can do is just love him with all our hearts and be thankful that we can be forgiven and know him. Who cares who's better than the other? There's truly some people in this world that every time I get near them, I realize I'm not that good. I'm not even close. I mentioned Jim Ritter earlier. Man, I love that guy, and I hate that guy. I do. I love him. Every time I'm anywhere near him, I go sit with him and try to talk to him and see how he's doing. And, and then I walk away and go, I shouldn't have done that. What a loser. Not Jim. Me. There's some people in this church, I won't even mention them because they wouldn't want me to, but same thing. And I have an incredible brother, Elias Montalvo, incredible brother. We were the sponsoring church for their church plant, and so he used to come in my office and he'd go, oh, my pastor. I'm like, please stop, Elias. Such a humble, godly man. I don't want to pastor you. Please pastor me, right? There's people in this world that that if you spend any time with him, you all of a sudden realize Why would I ever think I should sit on the right or the left of anybody? Important, right? Well, Jesus says, not yours. You shouldn't even think about it. But then he brings us to this kind of, I don't know, summation of what is taking place. Verse 24 says, in hearing this, the 10 became indignant with the two brothers. (laughs) It makes me laugh. You arrogant jerks. You went and asked Jesus if you could sit on the right and left, and we wanted to, and you beat us to it. We're really upset about that. He wouldn't have been upset if they weren't just as proud as James and John. It's kind of funny, isn't it? But 
Jesus called him to himself and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be your slave. You want a definition of what it means for the first to be last and the last to be first? Well, you take all your glories and make yourself a slave and you'll be the last that is first. If you reject that role, make yourself glorious You won't be a slave, but you will be last. I love what Jesus says. He says, the the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. And we understand that, don't we? That's not hard. That happens all the time. Men, the men of the world, they want to show how powerful they are. They want to show how smart they are. They want to show how controlling they are. They want to make sure you know they're getting their way and they're going to get to their position and they're going to make it all happen. If you work for them, they're going to make sure you know you work for them and they're going to make you sure you do what they want you to do and they're going to make sure you know that you're not the great and glorious one. Am I, am I the only one that's ever had that happen in my life? Some of you are looking at me like, oh, that would never happen to me. Have you ever worked for anybody else? I mean, I, I shared this this morning, and I shouldn't share it, but maybe I will. I'll share part of it at least. I was a peon at a trucking company. And I mean that. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I made the le- least amount of money. The secretaries made more money than I did, which was fine. I didn't really care. I was thankful to have a job, right? But the boss, the boss, the one that wasn't the owner, but the boss of everything else, Back in probably 1982, probably made half a million dollars or more. I made less than 10000 a year. And this guy treated me like dirt. It was awesome. I'd be working. I'd be welding. I'd be hot, sweaty, under hood somewhere, pouring concrete, doing whatever I did at the time. And he'd come by and honk until he, I took my hood off and looked over at him. He's like, he'd point to the gas pumps. And I was supposed to jog over there, and I mean jog because he was a busy man, and pump his gas for him. And he wouldn't even roll the window down and go, hey, how you doing? Well, I was such a humble guy back then. It just kind of stirred me, right? And so then I would find ways to irritate him. I know that's shocking, I realized pretty quickly that, you know, he was the boss, 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 the boss. So I realized I would just always find out when he told me to do something, I'd just say, well, how do you want me to do it? Boss, man. He'd tell me, and I'd I'd write it down. Like, I mean, you've got to tell me every step. And I would do it just the way he wanted me to do it. Nine times out of ten, it didn't work. So I'd do it the way he wanted me to, and I'd leave. Toilets overflowing, fun things. So I'd get a call. I knew I would, <laughs> surprisingly. He'd be mad at me. I want to see you in my office. Okay, boss. And he'd go over and he'd say, it's not working. I know. Why isn't it working? Well, tell me how you told me to fix it. And I'd have my paper He'd go through all the steps. I said, I did all those things that's not working. Now, what do you want me to do, boss? And then he'd get mad at me and tell me, go do it my way. 
I'm not better than him. I was as bad as him because it was my way of exercising authority over him, right? Can I just say this? Jesus said, it's not this way with you. Can I say that again? It is not this way with you. It's not this way with me. When I gave my life to Christ, surrendered my life to him while working at that trucking company, the Lord told me, you go serve these men. You go serve them all. You go serve the mechanics, the dockmen, the drivers that were rough and tough and harsh and brass. You go serve that arrogant boss, boss, man. And it was so hard for me. Right? That's, not, that's not who we are in the flesh. That's the ways of the world where that pride wells up and I work hard to try to manipulate some guy that's already manipulating me, right? That's just fleshly. It's not godly. It's not funny. I found some joy in it. I won't lie. In the flesh. But then the Lord, Lord has a way of saying, who do you think you are? Lord, ever say that to you? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? I laid my life down for you. Who do you think you are? That you would be arrogant and proud. He says, it's not this way with you. It's never this way with you. He says, clearly, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? It looks like a lot of servants. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. The kingdom of God looks like a bunch of slaves, a bunch of people giving their lives away, a bunch of people humbling themselves, a bunch of people emptying themselves, a bunch of people like Jesus. Because he finishes this and says, for the Son of Man, not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. These guys and many of us are so worried about having glory, so worried about having honor. I've actually had people over the years get mad at me because I didn't give them enough glory for what they were doing. Enough glory for what they were doing. I had one lady in a church in Illinois that came to me and says, you see I quit Playing the piano? I said, I saw that. She goes, do you want to know why? I said, not really. I meant that. I said that to her because I knew where she was going with this. So she says, well, I quit because you didn't give me enough acknowledgement and praise. And I said, would you have me bow down to you? That's a quote. That's what, would you have me bow down to you? Or would you serve Jesus? Because he's Jesus. What would you do? Well, she wasn't the last one that said those words to me. She wasn't the last one that said, why don't you acknowledge me more? Do you not know that if we acknowledge one another more in the flesh, we become more fleshly, not more godly? 
It doesn't mean we can't say thank you. I try to say thank you to the people who serve our church. I love it when you're serving. I'm thankful for your serving, but I'm not going to honor you beyond what you are. You and I are slaves, and we are servants, and when we serve Jesus Christ, we shouldn't get glory for it. He should get glory for it. He's the example right? He came to serve. He came to die. He came to die so that we could be saved. We should be serving for his glory. He's the only one that deserves it. So you and I, man, if we're followers of Christ, where do you think we should sit? Right? The title of my sermon this week, you want to sit where? You want to sit in the seat of glory when that seat's reserved for Christ? You want to show your majesty when the only majestic one is Christ? Follower of Christ, why do you serve and are you serving? Do you need to humble yourself like I do every day and ask God to forgive me for my pride? And Lord, please give me the heart of a servant. And it's stinking hard, and it's still hard. I had the men Wednesday night pray for me, and I asked Jerry and Max on our Thursday morning prayer time to pray for me because I've been trying to serve as a chaplain at the PD, and and I've shared the gospel several times one-on-one, but I knew God wanted me to take it higher, take it further. And so I knew he wanted me to start sharing some scripture during the briefings, which is the most difficult time for sure. And, and this last Thursday, I knew I was going to go ride that night and be at a briefing. And it was in a team where I haven't been super accepted. Uh, the two sergeants really don't have anything to do with me, don't really look at me, talk to me, acknowledge me, uh, which is okay. I mean, it's a tough little crowd down there. And, and I'm not trying to badmouth them. I love them. I'm th- thankful to be there. But I was going to I was going to go and say, I want you guys to know why I'm here. I'm here for you spiritually. I'm here for you to get to know God. I'm here for you to know who he is and what he's done for you and how he impact your life. And then I was going to say to them, and I would like, if I could, to start reading scripture to you every time I come here. And listen, that was a, that was a huge battle for me. It's a rough place. And they don't really want to speak about this stuff very easily, especially when they're all together. And so, man, I had prayed about it. I didn't sleep very well uh, Wednesday night, prayed about it all day Thursday. And I'm just, Lord, Lord, let me love them. And let me have courage for their sake, for your sake. Let me have courage. Let me serve these guys because it's not hard to be rejected, right? People reject that stuff. It's not just the policemen that reject that stuff. It's everywhere we go, isn't it? Speak up. It's everywhere we go. And so I prayed by the grace of God. I went in and said to the sergeants that never speak to me, you guys mind if I share something tonight? And they looked at me and went, go ahead, chaplain. That was kind of sweet. We go to the briefing and the guys are kind of rough. They have rough times. Sometimes when there's hard things going on, they just start to kind of spew out stuff and they're spewing out stuff and it's just kind of rough and it's vile and there's all kinds of just stuff and I'm just sitting there thinking, great, this is going to go so well. You know, after about 45 minutes of this stuff, they 
kind of take a break and the sergeant goes, oh, chaplain has something to say. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but I did, by the grace of God, his power. I said those things I told you. I, I just said, I, I'm here to help you know God. I'm here to help you know his love. I'm here to help you know his goodness. I'm here to help you know how to have a relationship with him. I'm here for you to know. And I said, if you guys don't mind, I want to start reading scripture when I come in here. And they all kind of went, go ahead. So I read my scripture. And they went, thanks, chap. Appreciate you. And we went on. And, you know, you would have liked them to go, oh, that's awesome, chaplain. Can you tell us more? They didn't. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you heard what I said. Sometimes we don't want to humble ourselves, and sometimes we don't want to serve because we're afraid if we do, somehow we won't get acknowledgement and we won't get glory and we won't get whatever honor we think we want. But you know what we will get? We'll get Christ. (laughs) We'll get him. We'll see him. We'll see him display his power in our life. We'll see him give grace and answer our prayers. We'll see him walk in our life. We don't have to be the God of our life. We have a God of our life. He calls us to serve him, and he calls us to serve others. And when we do, he displays his glory in us. And then we're done with that, and we go, thank you, Lord. That wasn't me. That was you. And that's where we need to live our lives If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your life ought to be pointing people to the glory of God in your life, not you. So believer, where do you want to sit? Where do you want to sit? Why don't we choose his feet? Why don't we choose to be prone before him, to lift him up, and to give him glory? He deserves it. We should be the most thankful, humble people on earth. Amen. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, why not come to the one who gave so much for your salvation? He gave it all for you. He paid the price for you. He took your shame. He took your judgment. He took your punishment. And then he overcame through the resurrection. And if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, you'll be saved and your life will be radically transformed into the image of Christ. Let's walk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, your power, your mercy. We need you. You're the only Savior. And you're the Savior for all. I pray for the lost that they would trust you today, Lord, as their Savior. To receive new life and forgiveness of sins and a relationship with you forevermore. Hallelujah. And I pray for the rest of us who know you, Lord God. That we would stop worrying about personal glory. And start giving you glory. Help us be servants. Help us be slaves. Help us to consider others as more important than ourselves. And let us worship you. Lord, we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Our pastors are down front. If you need to pray with us or have questions, we'd love to answer them.
Lord, to live that way. You're so good and so faithful. We don't have to prove anything to anyone. We don't have to be afraid of being forgotten or mistreated because you've given us life and you're our Father and you love us. Lord, give us faith. Increase our faith. Help us love each other. Help us love those in our community. Help us be unashamed of the gospel. Help us, Lord God, to give you the glory you deserve. Thank you for these men and women, for these boys and girls. Bless them richly, I pray. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.